Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duva and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290 KZSB. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and in Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. How are you, Neil? Well, I actually am very excited because this is one of the shows that uh, I know nothing about the subject, and therefore I am going to learn something as well as our listeners. Exactly. Well, then let me introduce our guest. We are thrilled to have with us Michael Saltis, who is the chair of the computer science department at CSUCI. Michael, thanks for being here with us. My pleasure. So the first article today um, is from the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled, Why is Inflation So Sticky? And it asks the question, could it be corporate profits? Um, And according to economists at uh, the ECB, businesses have been padding their profits. uh, And this was a bigger factor in fueling inflation uh, in the second half of the year, even than, than wages. And one puzzle, the article says, is why consumers have played ball. And usually economists would expect any business that raises prices to lose customers to competitors, but they haven't been. And what's happened, they they speculate, that uh, with the widespread knowledge that costs are uh, are rising, it, it allows businesses to raise their prices knowing that competitors will feel the same way and raise their prices as well. And um, finally, it goes on to say that um, the uh, uh, businesses are generally betting that uh, consumers will continue to go along with this. And um, uh, in fact, uh, companies like Procter & Gamble have uh, uh, said that in their case, which was one would think would be one of the risks of raising prices, their premium brands have not yet suffered that uh, price rises compared to you know, store brands. Even Procter & Gamble has shown little resistance. You know, I think what's going to happen is though, there's going to be a finite, um, consumers have a finite amount of money and many are going through much of what they've saved during the pandemic through all the pandemic relief funds. And I think what we're going to see is the consumer starting to pull back as, you know, prices continue to increase at a, a, a pretty uh, significant clip. Um, the, the the second article is a really a companion uh, piece, although it came out on a different day in the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled Pricing Power. This Kate Spade hottest uh, bag it costs $500. And 
the article is essentially focused on the increase in uh, prices from diapers to handbags, and th that unlike in other times, companies are breaking about it and suggesting that they're doing the smart thing by raising their profit margins. And there is some empirical evidence to suggest that uh, elasticity is working in their favor, demand elasticity. Disney uh, reported last week that its, um, uh, its uh, uh, number of new, uh, new uh, streaming uh, subscribers went down uh, when they raised their prices, but their profit margins went up dramatically. Uh, so that the loss in uh, paying customers uh, was significantly less than the increase in their prices. So it just kind of shows you that uh, one another example of how, and, and by the way, the Kate Spade example is there that the bag, it cost two, 500, it was 270 a year ago. So I don't know if you have any Kate Spade, Kate Spade bags, Diane, but they're more valuable. I should, I should sell them now online. Yeah. <laughs> make a nice profit. The, the next article says that it talks about SoftBank, which you know has been one of the biggest investors in tech stocks. And it says SoftBank says goodbye to Alibaba, hello to more AI investments. And the article is basically saying that uh, SoftBank is cutting back, uh, cutting back about three billion dollars of its investments in uh, general tech stocks in their vision fund, uh, and is now basically focusing on AI investing. Uh, which is uh, something that we'll be talking about in depth later. But speaking of AI, um, the uh, next article uh, finally gives us a definition of what AI is. And the article um, in the Wall Street Journal says, the term artificial intelligence refers to a model created to solve a specific problem or provide particular service. What is powering things like chat, GBT is artificial intelligence. It is learning how to chat better, but it can't learn other tasks. By contract, the term artificial general intelligence refers to software that's capable of learning any task or subject. So one of the things that we'll talk about later is that there is a distinction between artificial intelligence and artificial general intelligence. Um, and this, again, uh, I think kind of illuminates that is an article in Goldman Sachs's latest uh, uh, report to its uh, clients that um, uh, they believe that uh, AI uh, is a combination of significant labor cost savings, new job creation, and productivity boost for non-displaced workers raises the possibility of a large labor productivity boom. This would be similar to what followed the emergence of the electric motor and personal computer. This study estimates that generative AI in particular might raise annual growth of labor productivity in the US by 1.5 percentage points. This surge would be bigger in high income countries than developing ones, though timing is uncertain. And you know, the final article about AI um, comes from uh, the AP, which we very rarely use the AP, of, but it's an interesting article because it talks about how Europe um, is one of the first uh, institutional uh, guardrails against AI. And they have proposed uh, last Thursday, new rules for artificial intelligence to sort of uh, ensure that it's not going to just kind of steamroll over everyone. And some of the highlights of their rules is that um, they should not be prohibited, AI should not be uh, permitted 
to exploit vulnerable people, including children, or uh, use su uh, subliminal manipulation. Uh, they uh, would uh, ban uh, proposal uh, any voting uh, uh, to ban voting predictive uh, uh, policing tools, um, and uh, th they would uh, ban uh, general use of remote facial recognition. Th those are not what's really important, I don't think, uh, in terms of what some of the issues are. But what's interesting is uh, it, it's not that big a deal for Europe, but they're gearing up before any other large institution to sort of figure out a way to make sure that it's not as disruptive as some of the people in the world may think. I do think it's worth noting, though, that tomorrow the CEO of ChatGPT is going before Congress to testify. And so, you know, the fact that Europe has started to implement some rules or guardrails, if you will, for artificial intelligence, it, it appears as if, if our Congress can get together and agree on anything, there might be some coming our way as well. Yeah, true. Uh, the last uh, two articles are sort of uh, in the same area, which is uh, commercial real estate. And the Fed has uh, reported that they're concerned about commercial real estate uh, in terms of uh, systemic risk to the to the economy. Uh, and uh, Fed staff members and various other experts have uh, cited a survey that com commercial real estate uh, is going to uh, be particularly under pressure uh, for a whole host of reasons. You know, the uh, financial meltdown of some big institutions uh, will result probably in more caution and even forgetting about caution, less money to lend and interest rate increases that will make some of the deals that they lent that have to be refinanced uh, uh, much more difficult to, to, uh, to, to uh, satisfy. And, and this absolutely because when you're when you're looking at a commercial a commercial deal it's not a 30-year mortgage it's closer to a 10-year mortgage and as those 10-year notes come due you're going to see interest rates from 10 years ago versus today or even five years ago because they're usually much shorter terms you know it's going to be hard especially with the vacancy rates of commercial real estate being so high uh yeah and the, and the last article uh from the Wall Street Journal again oh this is from the New York Times uh, talks about uh, how office uh, office building owners are scrambling uh, to loans uh, a $750 million uh, mortgage on two new Los Angeles skyscrapers just uh, uh, went into default. And, you know, I know from, you know, experience that a lot of commercial developers uh, weren't even thinking so much about the product. They were just thinking about if they're going to be able to get two or 3% interest rates, why not? You know, builders like to build, developers like to develop. And so you've had a lot of indiscriminate uh, uh, development going on, particularly in the office market, and it's all probably going to come home to roost. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. 
Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having with us Michael Soltis, Chair of the Computer Science Department at CSUCI with us today. Michael, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's talk a little bit about your background and how you made your way to both, you know, Cal State University Channel Islands, as well as computer science in general. Well, I did a PhD in computer science about 20 years ago. That was at the University of Toronto. And since then I was on another university on the East Coast for about 15 years. And a decade ago, after spending a, a year at the University of California, San Diego, we came to to beautiful Ventura County and we settled here. And uh, I have been chair of that department since then. And I should also add that I am a principal scientist at GBL Systems. Uh, GBL Systems is a, a Southern California defense uh, company uh, with a lot of work with the DOD especially in the area of big data analytics and artificial intelligence. So big data analytics seems to be the buzzword for new college graduates um, today, really looking through that big data that um, the technology companies have been collecting on all of us over, over the years since it's been, um, since it's been so prevalent in our lives. 
and really figuring out what to do with it. Should we be concerned with what they're doing with all this data about us? Sure. To, this is called the, the information capitalism. Um, yes, uh, information is being collected about you everywhere. Uh, you go into a parking lot in Los Angeles and a picture is taken of your license plate. So we know where you go. Uh, you go to a store. Uh, some of the biggest stores have uh, uh, cameras that follow your eyes and they know what items you're looking at and it helps them place them uh, on the shelves. Uh, your health information, um, all kinds of information is collected about you and a very detailed profile is built um, using tools like machine learning and big data analytics in the cloud. And that, that information is often sold by information brokers. Um, so, so yes, uh, there, there is definitely a concern about it. How, how do information brokers get that information? Well, it's a, it's a very valuable asset uh, information and it, it is used uh, to, to place ads in your browser. You are, um, you're, you're browsing the internet and you see these ads appear, they're not random. Uh, they're placed there based on your profile, uh, the values of your cookies, which uh, help to trace your steps in the cyber universe. And that data is collected and aggregated and uh, sold back and forth. And so with the with the newest generation, I have a colleague who's a, a young millennial and he is always searching in dark mode so no one can collect the information on him. Now, me as a little bit older, shall we say, of that, I like them to remember all my passwords. So I don't like to browse in the dark mode because I can't remember all my passwords. So where is the happy medium on that? And how should people protect themselves if they don't want their information, you know, collected and then subsequently sold? Yes, it's a good question. The incognito mode in your browser. Well, you can you can use incognito mode in your uh, Google Chrome browser or Microsoft Edge, but you can also download uh, browsers that take privacy very seriously, such as the uh, Brave. Uh, that is a very interesting newer technology is built uh, from the ground up with uh, your privacy in mind. And earlier in the program, you were talking about the European um, con concerns regarding uh, the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence in Europe. All that concerns, all that concern comes from uh, privacy considerations, and Europe has been leading the way in that area with their GDPR um, for the last three or four years. GDPR regulations, and their concern, their concern about artificial intelligence is from the perspective of privacy. Uh, when you're using software such as Chat GPT. Yes, you're getting information, but you're also providing information and that information is being stored. And there's concern that uh, that technology um, is very invasive and that it collects uh, undue amounts of information about the users. And so, you know, let's talk a minute about chat GPT and we will cover this in depth later on as well, but you know, there hasn't really been a clear definition of what that actually is, aside from Neil's definition that I heard this morning from the Wall Street Journal. How do you actually define what chat GPT does? Very, very good question. Very exciting technology for me. 
Um, I've been thinking and working in artificial intelligence for 20 plus years. Um, when it was in its infancy, when Jeffrey Hinton, who's been in the news these days, was a professor at the University of Toronto where I was doing my PhD. Hmm. And I can't believe how far how far it has gone with uh, ChatGPT. So ChatGPT is the chatbot. Uh, the GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And I can just unpack that name for a second uh, and it will become clear. Generative, it means that it can come up with new data. Um, so imagine you imagine you you say a sentence like, well, this morning I woke up, I came down and I made myself a cup of, and well, you expect artificial intelligence to be able to to complete it with uh, with a with a good probability of uh, saying the word that you intended, which in this case would be a cup of coffee. So that's what generative is. You you train the computer on many examples and you train it how to complete sentences. It's part of natural language processing. Pre-trained, it means simply that it worked on astounding amounts of data for a long time. In the case of ChatGPT for three years, collecting data from Wikipedia and the internet, it pre-trained the model. It's called a foundation model with a lot of that data. And a transformer is the is simply a machine learning uh, algorithm for What defines our community? Is it the people? The businesses? Is it the ranches, vineyards, and farms? We think it's all of those, and we're committed to helping our communities thrive. Homeowners existing and new, businesses looking to grow or bring up the next generation, our regional agriculture managing their seasons, crops, and livestock. We're American Riviera Bank, and we invest in our communities. In you. The NLS Braille and Talking Book Program gives patrons the freedom to read their way, listen to their stories. When I lost my sight, the only thing I had was reading, and it was like therapy to me. NLS has uh, pretty much anything you'd possibly want to read. Just can't recommend it enough. It's a free service. It's amazing how much you can get. I have used every means there is, I think, of getting access to the National Library Service books. If you want to read in electronic braille, you can. If you want to read on your phone, you can. If you want to read in heartprint, you can. Everybody can read the way they want to read using this program, and it's a program worth looking into. For more information about the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Library of Congress, visit loc.gov slash thatallmayread or call 1-888-NLS-READ. Sign-ups are going on now for Goleta Valley Girls Softball Association. Both Santa Barbara and Goleta GVGSA is a softball league for girls ages 5 to 15 years old. The 5 and 6-year-olds play t-ball and coach pitch throughout the season. The girls pitch to batters in the 8U, 10U, 12U, and 14U divisions. The season runs from March through May with GVGSA following all state and local safety protocols. Softball is played outdoors and is a safe way to teach our local girls about teamwork and athletics. Sign up today at GVGSA.com. <laughs> Welcome back to a, a Money Talk. Uh, 
Brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM in the country, and a level of service others only dream about. So, Michael, before the break, we got cut off um, when you were talking about really what the GPT stands for. You know, when you talked about generative, generative, now I can't even say it, but could you you explain that again, just because we did get cut off there? Yes, uh, GPT, uh, generative uh, pre-trained transformer. And we talked a little bit about generative and pre-trained. I'll just repeat that pre-trained simply means that you fed that beast a lot of data, you know, everything on Wikipedia, um, you know, a lot of data from the Library of Congress. If you think about it, the Library of Congress to us, to a single human being, seems to contain a lot of information, but it's about 75 terabytes of data. That's that's not a lot for a machine to absorb and process. And then T stands for transformer. And that is technology related to natural language processing, understanding what uh, the written word or the spoken word and how to interact with a user in both in, in, in two ways. Uh, one is called supervised and the other is called reinforcement learning, where there were human beings training chat GPT to answer questions in a way that would make sense to a human. And that, that was a very lengthy process. It was three years of absorbing information and training chat GPT on processing it. And they built in the end something that's called a foundation model. And and this is the new, the modern way of doing machine learning. Last decade, the machine learning that was done was on small models, models to predict uh, stocks or a model to recognize images and facial recognition in your in your iPhotos on your computer. But ChatGPT is an example of a different type of model, the foundation models, which are huge models that are meant to understand and do everything. And I I think they are pretty astounding at what they do. So before the break, you gave us an example that was very intuitive about filling in the word coffee for what you want to do first thing in the morning. But some people would want tea. And so that would be the correct answer also. And if you take that error, if that's an error, um, one of the things that I think would be challenging is that for a user, how do you know when there's an error? Uh, You know, it's like there's going to be errors until some point in the future. So is it that useful if there could be a 10 or 15% error rate? Right, and to piggyback on that, does it eventually learn if I want tea and Neil wants coffee, each of our, our separate preferences? Ex- excellent question. And this is how ChatGPT resolves it. It doesn't claim that coffee is the right answer. What it does is it assigns a probability to coffee. So uh, if you say, this morning I woke up, I went downstairs, I made myself a cup of, and ChatGPT will assign a probability to the word coffee, maybe say 70%. 70% likely you 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 would have said coffee. 30% likely you would have said tea. But if, if the full sentence was, I came down this morning, I set up the coffee machine, and I made myself a cup of, and the probability of coffee in that example will go to 90%, a 
and the coffee would go down to 10 because people don't set up the coffee machine and make themselves tea. So everything is probabilistic in ChatGPT. It's not about right and wrong. It is the probability of a certain word occurring in a meaningful way in that place in the sentence. So is that useful? You know, people say one of the fears of uh, in education is that people will use it to write their assignments, their term papers. But you can't afford to have a mistake like that in a term paper because you'll you'll get an F. So how how is it used to in a in a, in, an, in an environment where you can't be wrong? See, but it is going to be right in a given context, right? It depends how you set up the story. And do you want ChatGPT to write it from scratch where it can say anything it wants, or do you already have a, a skeleton of the story and you want it to fill it out? And it can do both. I was, you know, when when the technology came out last November. I was skeptical of of AI because I've worked in it for so many years and it seemed to me so difficult to to do it in a way where there is this natural narrative and flow to the conversation with a chatbot. But then I used it to 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 write code. I would give it an assignment, you know. I would say, "Hey, write me write me software that can do search on a list of numbers." And it finds me the largest and I want it to be written in the Python programming language. And I want you to also include an explanation of why you chose a particular algorithm. And I did many such examples and I couldn't believe For a minute there. Yeah. So, so <laughs> sure, what couldn't you believe you broke up? I, I couldn't believe the quality of the output, how, how well it was doing. Um, an analogous example to that is 20 years ago when Wikipedia was coming out, you know, I, I would go to Wikipedia and certain areas um, of, of Wikipedia had such good coverage of a topic, say networking, you know, but other areas like maybe history, uh, where I happen to know a little bit about Central European history, I would look up articles and I would find them weak. I think ChatGPT is similar to how Wikipedia was 20 years ago. It is very strong in some areas. It needs work in others. So let me ask you this. With ChatGPT, is it something that it becomes more and more familiar with you as you as you learn it? Or is it taking data inputs from everybody and yeah. it's not necessarily unique to you? Um, it, it's a great question. Unfortunately, you always start from scratch. When you log in and you turn it on, there is no history between you. Like you would have with- so It's a not a relationship. <laughs> it's not a relationship, exactly. And furthermore, this is a very good question because ChatGPT has what we call a small window. The window of ChatGPT is about 4,000 words. So if you said to ChatGPT, hey, my name is Diane, and then you would have 5,000 words of filler, whatever. And then you say, and what is my name, by the way? Chat GPT wouldn't answer that question because the buffer is too small to contain your name, which was given at the beginning. So it has what we call a small window of context. It needs some context, but the window of context it has is relatively small. The next generation is supposed to make it bigger. But interestingly enough, Making a big window of context is very expensive in terms of computation. 
So, you know, I can't help but to go because I, I grew up watching the Jetsons go to a place of, you know, the Jetsons. And I think, is this going to be, you know, the the robot that used to make them all breakfast in the morning? That's <laughs> that's what I want to know. It doesn't sound it sounds like it's on the path there, but it is not that. Is that correct? It is. It's the primordial desire of human beings to build artificially an intelligence, right? Starting with Frankenstein. And we know how that ended. Right. <laughs> so, so, so you mentioned that in November, this was even new to you. Uh, how do you teach something that's that new? Are you able to create a, a, a syllabus and teach this? I am. Um, I'm teaching a course in the fall. It's a graduate course, but open to some of our undergraduates and non-matriculated students in artificial intelligence. Um, I am teaching it in a partnership with Amazon Web Services. Uh, we, we're a partner on our campus. Uh, we use their academy material, which is really good. And more importantly for us, we have a connection with the industry where they allow us to use for free their massive resources. You know, 15 years ago, there were very few places in the world that could teach machine learning in a meaningful way, AI, because the computational resources are so vast. Um, and and now by by partnering with big companies like AWS, I'm, I have access to those resources and students can use them for free, which is incredible. So when people look at uh, a choice to go to a large um, research institute or CSUCI, they shouldn't be shy about CSUCI because uh, if they're interested in computer sciences, you really are competitive uh, in terms of resources with MIT. Very competitive. I think the technological developments in the last decade, that is 3D printing, the cloud that we spoke about three years ago in this program, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Recording in progress. They have really, uh, they have really leveled the playing field. So a small institution like us um, can really compete with the with the biggest and brightest, and we have, and we have competed and very successfully. So now is the is Amazon Web Services your partner for um, the free Ventura upskilling courses as well? And can you tell them tell us about them? Yes, uh, this is this is a really exciting opportunity. Uh, it's a partnership between Assembly Member Jackie Irwin, the EDC, which is the Economic Development Cooperative out of Ventura County, CSU Channel Islands, GBL Systems, the company I'm principal scientist at, and Amazon Web Services and. We're, we're giving free classes in cloud technology and helping place uh, uh, graduates in internships. It's, it's good for both sides. Uh, uh, there's a lot of people who want a career shift and they know how, how good the job market is in IT. And we could talk about the job market a little bit as well because of, of the upheavals we have seen companies laying people off. So we, we satisfy both the people who are looking for a changing career. And also there's a lot of IT industry, specifically defense-related IT industry in Ventura County that needs workers. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Our family has been here over 30 years, we've always been in the hospitality business. 
So when we're looking for a bank to finance our deal, American Riviera actually stepped up for us. They know Santa Barbara well. Right now, we don't have any plan to open another hotel, but if we do in the future, we'll be talking to American Riviera Bank for sure. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. In the Santa Barbara community alone, one in every four people will have a mental health condition this year. Unfortunately, only a fraction of those who experience a serious mental illness, such as depression or bipolar disorder, will seek treatment or support. For over seven decades, the Mental Wellness Center has been responding to the critical needs of people in the Santa Barbara community and their families who are impacted by mental illness, providing support, education, and direct services. We believe that early intervention is key and that recovery is possible at any stage. Mental health is a community matter that affects us all, and that's why we're so committed to building a community of wellness and creating hope for a brighter future. Step up for your own mental health. Visit mentalwellnesscenter.org to learn more. That's mentalwellnesscenter.org. At a time when misinformation is all too common on social media, we take great pride in bringing you the news that matters, that impacts your family, news you can trust. Local broadcast journalists bring you the facts, covering the stories breaking in our community and across the globe. Text RADIO to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on local journalism. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. And we're speaking today with Michael Saltis, who's the professor and chair of computer science at California State University Channel Islands, and also is a principal scientist and software engineer at GBL Systems Corporation. So Michael, you know, we we have been talking a lot about chat GPT. I'm always trying to put in a B there. My husband's always correcting me. And, you know, how worried should we be the the effect that AI is going to have on our society? Where do you see where do you see this going next? As as somebody who has the most experience, at least on this radio show in this world. Yes. Um, well, uh, the principal scientist at Google, Jeffrey Hinton, just uh, quit his position after being there for the last ten years, maybe even longer because he's concerned with uh, what he says are the the consequences of the introduction of this technology, the social consequences. Um, he, he wants to think about it and be able to, to advocate for the technology without being linked uh, to Google. And by the way, he was a professor at the University of Toronto in the 90s when I was doing my PhD there. And I remember taking a course in, with him in computer vision where he was trying to teach a computer with neural networks to distinguish a cat and a dog and would give the computer 100, 150 images of cats and dog labeled and then would show the computer a new image and say, well, now 
given the experience you have, can you guess, is this a cat or a dog? And at the time he was running out of uh, funding and nobody thought this was going anywhere. It was interesting. But 10 years later, he was, his ideas and technology was acquired by Google. And, and, and we know how quickly it progressed since then. Well, so he has, he has quit Google and he's thinking about the ramifications of this technology. It definitely seems that they will be replacing some jobs. But on the other hand, you will need a lot of people to be training ChatGPT. Um, so far, the software revolution um, has created new jobs, but hasn't necessarily eliminated too many of the old ones. The hope is that it will be beneficial. My, my concern with the AI is not so much that people will be losing jobs. My concern is that uh, we are seeing the you know the geopolitical adversaries of our country for example implement this technology in their weapon systems very quickly without proper testing uh, and like i have to say the united states is really careful with this new technology and there is a whole new office in the dod that is a concern to me more than uh, robots uh, stealing jobs from people so Zuckerberg bet the company, bet Facebook uh, two years ago and spent billions of dollars on um, the metaverse. Is that related to this or is that just a boondoggle that's just that, that and he missed the whole point of what uh, what um, uh, what AI is? Yes. And uh, he has labeled 20, that is Mark Zuckerberg has labeled the year 2023 uh, the year of efficiency, uh, which means he is letting people go. I think they have let 10,000 people go. This year of efficiency sounds to me like a great, great leap forward type of <laughs> type of statement. Um, yes, he has bet on the metaverse. Uh, I was never attracted to that concept, to be honest with you. Creating this really immersive virtual reality where people lead our lives seems creepy to me. Um, I find nature and the world so interesting. Why would you want to escape it to that extent into an in, into a virtual world? I understand the benefits of virtualization. You can do training, you can you can do you can play games, you can do things with it. But he bet on creating this parallel virtual world where people would want to inhabit uh, full time. I think that idea never panned out. So that these two somewhat different technological breakthroughs are really on a different path. You know, people talk about the tech stocks and they sort of lump them together, but they're really quite different. Yes. Um, you mean uh, the connection to the connection between the metaverse and artificial intelligence? Yeah, you speak to some investors. They'll say, "Well, I'm I'm going to invest in this new technology," and they kind of throw those two together, but they're they're not the same at all. They're not. Uh, the metaverse, one of the tools at its disposal would be the tools of machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, collecting data, analyzing, forecasting, uh, things like that. But but there, there, there is nothing that links them at the hip. Let's talk for a minute about jobs, because you, you mentioned where that you don't really think that AI is going to take over a lot of jobs. But but when you look at, you know, the things that you can feed into chat 
GBT, even at this early infancy stage of artificial intelligence infiltrating through society, you have, you know, even attorneys out there saying, wow, you know, I fed it this information and it spit out information at me that took me four hours of research to do. That type of efficiency in helping humans, you know, ultimately make the. Yeah, Diane, you know, taking, yeah. sorry, you broke out. Yeah. Oh, okay. Don't you see that as taking, you know, having the ability to take some jobs, maybe not the attorney role at all. I mean, in, in totality, however, definitely cutting down their billable hours. Sure. Um, yes. And, and I have read the, the same thing and I have, I have seen that uh, chat GPT, the, the new version, the chat GPT four, uh, which just came out a few weeks ago, was capable of, uh, say, writing the bar exam um, in the top 10%. So yes, uh, de definitely uh, a heavy player, intellectual heavy player. I I see I see other dangers in terms of losing jobs. And I was really concerned for a while that so many positions uh, were lost in the IT industry. Uh, Amazon, Google, uh, Google let so many people go, um, especially in the middle management positions. Um, middle management in the IT industry, that's a, that's a tough position to be in because people above you are always asking you to produce more with less. Uh, people below you have to be managed. They don't want to come back to work post COVID. Um, it's a tough position, but, but there is a lot of middle managers and they seem to be the ones who have lost the most positions in the latest purging. Google, by all estimates, has about 30,000 middle managers. Um, and many of them, um, some of them very good friends of mine have lost their positions. A, a good friend of mine has written on LinkedIn his experience losing his job at Google. He woke up Friday morning, he went to connect to his computer and it was remotely wiped out and he no longer had corporate access. It was brutal and quick um, and a lot of people were let go. Fortunately, it seems that we're at a moment when there is enough startups to hire a lot of these people who have lost positions and working for startups has its benefits vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, large corporations. So in the end, I, I think for people in the IT industry, there are jobs. You just have to be a little bit more competitive and a little bit more persistent to get them. To bring it closer to home, could you envision when professors at universities will be virtual? <laughs> I think I already am becoming one. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. American Riviera Bank is actually really good offering the loan to small businesses. The customer service that they gave it was amazing. She actually gave us step by step. She helped me with every single step on the paperwork. She was great. We found a great bank, and now we have a great coffee shop. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. 
and is the best way to protect that legacy. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay, smart. Protect your legacy. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan for the tools and tips you need to start your emergency preparedness plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Community alert, not if, but when disaster strikes. Join Ted Adams and Mike Williams for Community Alert, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 9 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. Community Alert, where guests discuss local issues, including prevention, emergency preparation, evacuations, and information flow before, during, and after emergencies and incidents. Community Alert, heard on AM 1290, the Santa Barbara News Press radio station. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So, Michael, are you currently teaching artificial intelligence and cloud computing um, to students as as we speak? Yes, uh, through that partnership I mentioned before with uh, Amazon Web Services, we're an AWS Academy. Uh, we have access to uh, great curricula classes, uh, labs in the cloud, and our students take these classes as undergraduates and as graduates. And so can can non-matriculated students, meaning community members, um, take it, sign up for your classes if there's availability? Yes. Yes, they can. That's wonderful. And you know, in your opinion, is there a company that's actually in the lead right now with artificial intelligence? I, I think there's a few companies uh, competing for that position. Um, Google was a little bit blindsided by the progress. They're now trying quickly to uh, come up with an answer to uh, ChatGPT, which was created by the company OpenAI. And their version is called Bard. It's very good as well. Microsoft, which has founded a lot of funded a lot of the open AI efforts is behind ChatGPT and they have already incorporated it into their Microsoft search engine. Um, I like working with uh, AWS partly, partly because they're a partner, but partly I find their tools to be superb. They have the uh, Sage Maker suite of tools uh, that, that are, I think, the essential set of tools for anybody working in machine learning and big data analytics. And um, they're based on a technology that's called Jupyter Notebook that data uh, scientists have used over the last decade, 15 years. And they have they have something that is really important to me as an educator. Um, you know, as an educator, I am responsible for both generating knowledge and synthesizing it, aggregating it, and disseminating that information. And um, AWS helps with that. Uh, their, their documentation is really good and they have this concept of democratization of technology. They understand that their services are sophisticated 
and that no matter how good they are, if not enough people adopt them, these services will become obsolete very quickly, no matter how good they are. So they have a big push with academia to enter into partnerships where they allow academics like myself uh, to open access to those tools to the students. And what about to the general population? Is Are these tools free? Yes, there is one tool that anybody who is interested in finding out and playing with a few examples of machine learning, and that is uh, the AWS SageMaker Studio Lab tool. Anybody can request an account. It takes about a week to be authorized, but anybody who who, who wants to play with it can. If you're a student uh, and um, uh, are involved with some of the uh, Amazon Web Services information flows, does that give them a leg up in getting a job at Amazon? Definitely. It's one of the most sought after uh, accreditations or certifications is to be an AWS architect. And that is an, an excellent entry point into the cloud. And the good point about the cloud is that you, you don't really become married to a company like AWS if you learn the cloud with their resources because Google has a cloud and Azure have a cloud and those clouds are very similar in many ways. Well, speaking of the cloud, it's getting a little bit sunny out, so I think it's time to go. Uh, thank you again so much. Uh, you make what is very complicated easy to understand, and um, you know this is just a great asset to our community that you're you're teaching this cutting edge stuff. So thank you again for being our guest, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>